Welcome back to Lose Real, folks. Uh, Philip Kingston joining you from Big D, um, where I did some interesting real estate research today that we can talk about. Tyler Way joins us from a uh, undisclosed courtyard Marriott in Houston, where he has just been to the NCAA um, football title game. No. No, fake news. Fake news. Um, I've been uh, let's see, I've been traveling. How much Austin, money did Austin. you have in Washington? <laughs> also, none. No Literally, everybody that. I talked to who gambles on sports was like, yeah, that line, there's no way this, you know, Washington's either going to win or it's going to be super tight or whatever. And everybody bet Washington. I was like, I, I didn't watch every Michigan game this year, but I watched like two of them. And I was like, uh, no, dudes. <laughs> Did you watch these games? <laughs> yeah. And they uh, certainly came out ready to play. I did enjoy <laughs> Jim Harbaugh talking about um, their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, uh, and praising him as maybe one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time when I think he threw like 10 passes <laughs> last night. Yeah, he's up there <laughs> with Vince Young for sure. <laughs> Lots of uh, handing the ball off to other people. But, I mean, hey, that's an important <laughs> That's an important part of the job too. But, hey, if it um, keeps working. And the Big Ten, you know, as a Midwesterner, I have to, you know, sing the praises of the Big Ten finally being on top of of uh, the college football world again. So that's for what that's the, uh, the least compelling storyline <laughs> could have come up with there. So, but, uh, um, no, yeah, in Houston, I was not... in the Valley yesterday. I get to go to San Antonio and Austin this week before I make it back to Dallas. So this is just, if I were running for governor, you know, this would be a great barnstorming tour. <laughs> Might as well start. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, this is the hot time for college applications, huh? So this is usually reading pretty heavy reading season for us. The kind of the cool thing I'm doing here tomorrow is one of the um, schools in Houston has invited me to do uh, a workshop with their juniors. So they bring them back to campus early and they spend like a week talking all about college stuff. And so I'm giving presentations during the day tomorrow about how you can find the best fit college. And, and fit being more than just looking at U.S. News and World Report. And that doesn't always just like uh, result in um, a pitch for Wabash, like the the way the way they have you fill out like a, a personal finance questionnaire for a financial advisor. And the answer is hire Morgan Stanley. Yeah, that's right. You should hire. Definitely hire me. I'll give a quick uh, blurb about us at the very beginning, just, you know, to be completely transparent with them. But then I don't ever talk about Wabash until the end if they want me if they don't want me to. <laughs> well, um, I had an interesting professional day because I'm working on a zoning project downtown, at, which required me to submit as part of my zoning application uh, a plat map of the the subject property that I'm looking. Uh, can you see that? Yes. So um, maybe this will also show up on the video. Maybe we'll post this video to the YouTube page. But yeah, you can see um, one of the oldest plat maps in Dallas. This would have been about 1875-ish, 
something like that by the time that much of downtown had been actually platted out and believe me the there were not nearly the number of buildings that there were lots at the time this map was made but my favorite part is look at the trinity (laughs) (laughs) the mighty the mighty river and uh and you know how much by water street yeah yeah water water street a street that no longer exists um (laughs) Yeah, the uh, I don't know, man, it's it's I'm trying to get a non-premise advertising sign on a historic building um, in downtown. And so, of course, I need to submit this illegible uh, not to scale plat map from 125 years ago of places and streets that don't exist anymore. (laughs) The mighty Trinity. That's my favorite part. I don't know, Philip, did you watch the 1883, the prequel to Yellowstone at all no I haven't seen it yet Sam Elliott it was uh, interesting uh, but one of my favorite parts of the journey is uh, the tale of them crossing the Trinity River and having to go through you know clocking the wagons and floating and losing people along the way uh, (laughs) along the mighty Trinity which I just find very funny um, looking at it now well you know that is the the Dallas's actual Rasson de Trey is uh it's it was the easiest forward point for the Trinity because there were um uh limestone um uh river bottoms between the old oldest part of downtown and uh the bluff where Methodist Hospital is now. That was the easiest way to get across to cross the mighty Trinity. The uh, yeah, this was before the inland port idea. Yeah, a little. The uh, (laughs) no, you're you're talking about making the Trinity navigable, not the actual inland port that we have today. Yes, but yes, no. People have been dreaming of making the Trinity navigable as long as Dallas has existed. I think actually John Neely Bryan was a proponent of trying to get barge traffic up the Trinity from the Gulf, and uh, it's despite the fact that people spent a lot of money actually trying to create locks and bridges that it never was possible. But I was going to bring up that there's a a persistent and uh, annoyingly idiotic myth about Dallas, which says that it didn't have any reason for existing, Mm. that, you know, that, that Dallas is sui generis, that we, the people who, wanted it here just willed it into being for no particular reason which as our friend jim shoots has pointed out he calls this the plucky nitwit theory it's like (laughs) yes very highly effective people who are just dumb but no that's not and in fact what the issue is it's it's about wagon crossings and sam elliott that's uh my favorite of those early days of Dallas uh quote I, I read about came from uh, my friend Colin Yarbrough in his book Paved Away, where one of our forefathers as a city hoped that one day Dallas could become the quote Indianapolis of the Southwest. <laughs> I'd say we I'd, <laughs> look mission accomplished, right? That's right. <laughs> Indianapolis <laughs> of the Southwest. Perhaps one day. Dallas could we be may, on the same. Yeah, we may uh, we may change out the closeout music for this episode to uh, <laughs> expose listeners to the Bottle Rockets classic Indianapolis, yeah, which I mean, contains the great lyric, is this hell or Indianapolis? 
That's okay. There are two contenders in my mind for biggest freaking story uh, of the present moment. Uh, one is ridiculous. The other one is sad. Um, do are we doing uh, Eric Johnson or EBJ first? Mm. Let's. Uh, well, we can end with EBJ on a high note. Let's start with Eric Johnson. Good idea. Eric Johnson's um, brand. I mean, high, highly long established and not at all uh, uh, recently made up group. Republican Mayors Association announced uh, officer positions and board positions. Oh, um, so it now has more than one member, which we I think we proved when he announced the organization that he was, in fact, the only member. Um, uh, and now he's got, I think, one other currently serving mayor. I think the others are X. Yes, I'm looking so yeah, and then just some people looking, who've never been mayor. It looks like they have expanded to an advisory board now too. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should give the people one good background. This Philip, when I when Philip and I were talking about stories for the week, Philip just put that he wanted to talk about the RMA. To which I was like, "What is that?" And he was like, "Oh, Republican Mayors Association." And I was like, "See, I didn't know the acronym because it's fake. It's not. I can't like believe a real... you don't think about the RMA every single day. <laughs> what What is the most vibrant uh, right-wing municipal government organization in the country yes, doing. Clearly, it's the Republican Mayors Association. So I see they've got, um, let's see, an advisory board made up of Javier Villalobos, who is the current mayor of McAllen. McAllen. Um, Ronald Morrell Jr., who is the mayor of Marion, Indiana, and Aaron Stewart, the mayor of New Britain, Connecticut. Oh, so they did it. Okay, good. They have actual other mayors. And then um, I, when I look on the the national board, that has one former mayor, Kevin Falconer from San Diego. Um, the it, Mr. Villalobos from uh, McAllen, that was a bizarre race. I encourage everybody to read up on it on Ballotpedia or whatever. Um, there was a very, it, there was a, it, it, they're not partisan races, but in, in you know, we always know. Um, so there was a, a strong Democrat in that race um, who ultimately got so enmeshed in scandal that Democrats I know in McAllen voted for Villalobos. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, being a Republican, well, and I guess that's probably, I guess for Eric's part, maybe this larger strategy of Republicans making efforts at inroads in South Texas. I don't know. Oh yeah. No, Villalobos is absolutely a poster child for this um, very made up trend on the right that says that they are now competitive in South Texas. And all you have to do is look at any numbers down there to see that they're most assuredly still not competitive in South Texas. The, 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 the grain of truth there is simply that um, you can look at a midterm and think that maybe Biden is not connecting with people on the border. Kel surprise. Yeah, which speaking of border, not to get too far, but did you see the story about Myra Flores, former congresswoman, Myra Flores tweeting fake pictures of Mexican food? 
And it's not the first time she's done it. And it's apparently she does it a lot. I heard, I saw, <laughs> I saw a Republican, notably, uh, referring to her as the uh, George Santos of South Texas. It's, <laughs> she's like, here are these beautiful arepas that I took off of Pinterest that I'm making <laughs> on my ranch. You know, and the thing when I, the first time I saw that picture, I was suspicious of it, Tyler. And this is, this is something that. I think everybody ought to have as a rule of thumb when you're looking at political imagery. If the political imagery does not have the candidate in the image mm, yeah. or some very identifiable event that the candidate surely was at, um, then it it's 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 it should give you pause to question whether this is a put on. Now, on the other hand, when John Cornyn tweeted that awful brisket, uh, that was very much, it didn't include him in it, but that's exactly what I thought a brisket made by John Cornyn would look like. But yeah, that's, so that, that, it, you know, following the rules of evidence, that would be admissible in court, despite <laughs> the fact that you can't identify John Cornyn because it's a statement against interest. He's, he's, he's publishing material that, that damages his reputation. <laughs> Here's my beautiful Texas brisket that looks, I don't know, like something you would get from Bill Miller's. It was great. Um, but that's also Bill Miller's, uh, probably the demographic that uh, John Cornyn does best with or clientele <laughs> of Bill Miller's. See, you are all over the state recruiting uh -huh. and the, the vast majority of our listenership <laughs> is North Texas who may never have seen a Bill Miller's. Yeah, they need to go. Um, you know, I mean, just picture a place that you would go to where there is cheap food that is served on styrofoam plates where the average age of the people eating there is 73. Yeah, Dickies. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a good analogy. <laughs> That's why Bill Miller can't crack into North Texas. You got the, the, Dick, <laughs> the Dickie family holding it down up here. Um. So there's not much to the supposed expansion of the RMA. It remains a fake organization, um, even with powerhouses like Mayor Villalobos on the board. Um, and it got me to thinking, who is the Republican mayor of the largest Republican-run city in the United States? It would be uh, what Fort, Fort Worth Mayor Matty Parker. I think that's right. Now, Other, well, now the people do claim that John um, Whitmire is a Republican now. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a specious I claim. <laughs> I think it's specious, but he did, you know, he definitely mined conservative votes for his margin of victory. And so, if he winds up having to pay some bills to Houston Republicans, that will be quite disappointing. But Maddie Parker, uh, next door to Dallas, not part of the RMA, so far as we know. And I don't look, Mayor Parker is, has historically been a Republican. I think that I, I think that's proven. I think that she's been active in the Republican Party in the past. Um, I would not say that her current statements on policy are all that congruent with the the either the national or the state party uh here in texas 
Um, she's definitely governing from the center. Um, and so maybe, you know, maybe she's not seeking to be identified as a Republican. I, but I do think that if the argument that Eric is making, which is that Democratic leadership is failing cities, uh, I, I would think that he would want to be um, on Maddie Parker's doorstep begging her to join the organization and, and you know, chart the new course for Republican successes in municipal leadership. We are, unfortunately, due to when we're recording this, it, it sounds like we're missing uh, the Mayor Mayor Johnson's appearance on the Chad Hasty show, where he oh, is no. discussing the organization's goals for 2024. So we'll have Maybe to report on those goals in a subsequent episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are up to 516 followers on Twitter, or the platform formerly known as Twitter. So, I'm well, working in Steve. Um, yeah, I mean, it's me is that <laughs> is, is that is that is that good <laughs> uh so definitely something to uh to keep a watch on i mean the only other work we saw them do before was uh he appeared at lots of uh well went to indianapolis to campaign for the republican mayoral candidate in indianapolis who went around to lose by like 30 points so it's they're, not going to uh, change overnight, Tyler. You know, everybody right. has to do their part, and you're going to take some L's on your on your way to some W's, right? <laughs> to uh, let's see, what's it say? Preserve, protect, and defend the American dream, one city at a time. Literally, we they meet it one city at a, <laughs> at a time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so fun. Um. What do we want to do next? We had a bunch of there's there's so much stuff. Unfortunately, there's so many things going on. The, yeah, the holidays kind of interrupted our recording schedule. And for for table setting purposes, um, I think I finally convinced the great Mike Daniel to join us on the show. And so I will be trying to schedule that for next week at some point um, to hear all of the war stories about fair housing in Dallas, which I think is going to be quite fun. Well, and there was, well, I guess while we're on the subject of housing, maybe we should touch on that um, housing committee meeting that happened just before Christmas time. Uh, we hit on it just slightly in the last episode, but I do have an update. Do tell. Um, the, um, the backstory is, and these are highly contested facts by the two parties, so I'm going to try to present it in, in as dispassionate a way as I can. From uh, Chad West's perspective, he has been asking staff to brief these ideas to housing or to the council for quite a while. And he's right about that. There, there's documentation that he that he in fact did that. And <clears throat> staff has repeatedly said to council that they are holding back on a bunch of good ideas uh, to combine them all with uh the uh, Forward Dallas Comprehensive Land Use Plan update, which is supposedly going to be here this summer at some point. Um, this is a very bullshit excuse for not doing uh, policy work because Forward Dallas is an important tool, um, but it is what is known as an area plan, meaning it has no legal significance really to land use. 
it, it, it is not related to, for instance, changing minimum lot size. Um, it, it can't do that. That's just not its legal um, uh, function. So that's a that, that's a BS excuse he was getting, and he got frustrated with it and did this five signature memo, which is the you know the council's tool for pushing a mayor or a staff who doesn't want to brief something or vote on something, just forcing the issue. Um, so according to Chad, he first asked Jesse Moreno if he would voluntarily put that on the housing agenda. Jesse, for his part, claims that he told Chad he absolutely would put it on the housing agenda, but that staff needed 90 days to prepare for it. Um, what the the exchange that happened next is very disputed. Chad said that he said that was bullshit and that the you know that that's the explanation he'd been getting from staff. Jesse um apparently heard something along the lines of Chad wanted this in the paper and he wanted uh, media attention. And you know, whether that was said or not, I don't have any idea. I was not there for any of this. So um you know, I think that I, I think that there's an unfortunate division between those two, two you know, two friends of ours, um, that is damaging the discussion of some ideas that I would like to see discussed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so what the meeting ended up being called on the twentieth of December. Um, Chad West was not able to attend. That, a uh, fact TV. that Jesse knew when he called the meeting and meeting. and and it, it no Jesse cannot claim that city council meetings in that week of December comply with expected norms. Generally, after the last council meeting of December, nobody schedules anything. It is quite out of the ordinary to do that. So, uh, and I, I guess the signature, the memo, uh, the signature memo that was signed. So Chad, Jaime, Janie, and Paula Blackman weren't able to attend the hearing. The only one who did sign the memo was Baz. And he was the only one who was able to actually attend the committee meeting. That's right. So, yeah, I, it's just, you know, it, I'm hearing this as as gossip and I am... I'm trying to do my best to present it as something that I've heard as gossip and not the thing that actually occurred. But if it is true that people are making these decisions based on what I would characterize as petty reasons, uh, eh, not a good look. Yeah, definitely not great. And I we talked about that, I guess, a little bit of trying to figure out where Jesse comes about from his sort of seeming hardline position on uh some of these zoning reforms so I, what the quote that i saw that came out from that was um see if i can get it pulled up here um he called by right development um a non-starter for his district and said that he supports density he supports having more people to live in our city but it has to be in the appropriate place but doesn't say, or at least was not quoted as saying where such an appropriate place was. He was and joined in that in that tag team by Kara Mendelson 
and Carolyn King Arnold. So there's some good company. If if you're trying to validate your position. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that whole episode I thought was disappointing, silly, uh, wasteful of time and hurtful of feelings that didn't, you know, just didn't need to happen. And really, it, there's there just remains this. This is a, another one in the thread of stories that we keep telling about staff not really being totally on board with what city council wants them to do. And what is the level of discipline city council is re is ready and willing to enforce? And, mm -hmm. it, you know, more and I'd say the two are very closely related because as you know, the less that council is willing to crack the whip, the more staff is going to ignore their wishes, I think. So. Um, yeah. It just baffles me, and I, I know I had said this some in our previous episode, and I, I posted about it on social media, but, you know, to sort of believe these alternative plans or these other places that they seem to be referring to, you know, Kara has talked about needing to develop more places in southern and south Dallas, um, which I presume mean where there are currently trees um, and places that are not readily available for there to be expanded housing, right? Because I guess that your answer is if you're going to provide more housing, it's either to be more dense in the areas where housing exists or develop new land for housing, right? And so to say, well, it happens, it has to happen in the right place, the right place being places that have not currently been developed for single family housing means that the city has to be willing to invest billions of dollars in raising land, putting in water and sewer service, building roads uh, and sidewalks and street lights in a place where none of those things currently exist when there are vast swaths of that part of the city that already don't have sidewalks and street lights. I just don't see them wanting to do that or being willing to do that at all. Well, and I was, you know, I went to this meeting, the difference between the comments of the Northern Dallas representatives and the Southern Dallas representatives was quite stark. Um, and, you know, Sarah, uh, Kara said that about um, Southern Dallas explicitly, which is just, it's pretty bananas because that's what the representatives from down there are saying they don't want. It's also, depending on how it's financed, the same uh formula for getting us in trouble with HUD as happened in 2014. And then he didn't say it explicitly uh, to say Southern Dallas, but Ridley talked about we need to be putting density in greenfields. And man, there's only one place where they're greenfields, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's something that I know that Southern Dallas representatives hear and don't really appreciate. Um, they, I don't know. They, it, it was not a fun discussion. And as I mentioned before, the other thing Jesse did is he allowed all of these anti-urbanist speakers to come speak at the meeting when city secretary's office was telling people like me who tried to sign up to speak that there weren't going to be any speakers. Mm -hmm. So you get to be invited to speak? That, that's is an open that, meetings uh, violation. No, you can't yes. do that. <laughs> no, you you really can't do that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That all all around a disappointing episode. 
Um, what are the sort of next things for folks to follow with regard to that, Philip? I don't know. Um, I would hope that in sometime this month, we would be able to see uh, another funding discussion for the Forest Central project that I've been working on for uh, more than a year at this point. Um, that that does need to come up. We have our, our request in and staff is really trying to help us. So it, it's not, this isn't whining or anything. It's just these freaking projects are expensive and they're hard to finance. So we're trying to, we're trying to get that done. I would say from a policy standpoint though, the thing that I have heard that should be next to come to council would be the reform of the residential building code to allow six or eight units to be built under the residential code rather than under the commercial code. And that, you know, we talked about that on this show before, and fortunately our listeners aren't afraid of uh, wonkishness. It, that sounds really wonkish, but really when you think about it, it's um, why would we put a, a threeplex, a three unit apartment complex under the same building code as um, uh, the tallest structures in Dallas, mm -hmm. uh, which is which is currently how the rules work. So that one I hope is coming to either government performance and financial management um, or to housing and homeless solutions in January. Um, part of the reason that I'm a little bit, uh, well, it's I'll just disclose my interest I have a project I want to do, and I want to do it under the residential code <laughs> because the difference in development costs is going to be about a quarter million dollars on a very small apartment uh, development. So we'll see. We'll see if I get my way. But I think that's I, I think that's the message essentially that the the council is giving us is that they're not really interested right now in sweeping reforms to the development code. Um, they're interested in technical amendments that help specific problems. And if that's the way they want to go about it, uh, you know, I'm their man. Yeah, though it does leave to be desired uh, like a strategy for how we help more people be able to have homes. Well, right? it, it's it's a different <laughs> way of going about it, right? It's, yeah, it's uh, it's well, incrementalism and, or yeah. You know, incremental improvement is the worst kind, but it's frequently the only kind we can manage. Yeah, yeah. Better than no improvement, certainly. Yeah. Right. Um, speaking of areas where there have been little to no improvement, pedestrian deaths, traffic deaths, and Vision Zero. Did you see that? Did you look at the Vision Zero update? Uh, just briefly. I thought it was so weird. Why were they bringing that update if there's nothing to update, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway is that 2023 is the most dangerous year on record for Dallas pedestrians. It's not great. I, I, uh, I, we had, I had a brief Twitter handle change to vision 462, <laughs> which I think is the number of people who've been hit in the last year. That's uh, not good. No, we, that leaves some areas for improvements. <laughs> I just I don't know why they were updating that if it looks so bad. And this ties into something we've mentioned before. Melissa is chairing a task force 
um, along with Tony Page, to look at why the city's complete streets design manual has not been implemented. Um, and it, the, you know, the the TLDR version is that uh, Dallas Fire and Rescue vetoes all the improvements because they feel like they need to be able to move large fire equipment very quickly along streets. Um, hard to imagine that um, a street that supports pedestrian and bike transportation uh, can't also transport fire equipment or that keeping streets really wide and fast is less dangerous <laughs> than making them more pedestrian friendly. I, I, you know, the, the logic here is, well, I mean, I'll say there isn't any logic. The, the, the motivation here is DFNR wants to buy the biggest toys it can. And that I think has a lot to do with testosterone. Yeah. I mean, they look cool, right. And badass. Exactly. And uh, anyway, like... I, you know, I went and looked, I, I started digging on this thing because Tony told me what he had found kind of in his initial research. And I was like, well, where are places where they have excellent fire service? And uh, one of them, just one example is Hong Kong. And you can look at the Hong Kong fire department's website and they have a helpful um, pictorial listing of all the equipment that they use. Um, and, you know, Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities, but it's a city that was laid out at a time when cars were not a concern you know, or, or in, in many parts of the city hadn't never, hadn't been invented yet. And so, uh, it's an interesting place where you have some of the tallest structures on earth on some very small streets. And yet, somehow, this this magical fire service seems to be able to uh, protect people. Um, yeah, making Dallas more like Hong Kong. I just mean sure. that you know, if it, if you're looking at the redesign of uh, Fort Worth Avenue, just to to name something. And you decide Fort Worth Avenue could lose a travel lane for cars um, and get some wider sidewalks and some stuff like that. Um, the idea that DFNR can say, no, that's a that's a thoroughfare we use for transported equipment, and therefore you can't mm -hmm. implement this policy that city council voted unanimously for. Man, that's fucked up. That's not our system of government. That's not how the charter lays out anything. And the staff that is, you know, facilitating or encouraging that kind of outcome, you know, they're it, they're violating our city government um, in a number of different ways, including and you know, if if you're listening to this and you're subject to 12A, the city's ethics code, think twice before you tank a complete streets project. Yeah, that's, um, well, and there are definitely, I mean, I even I was thinking even in downtown Houston, right, they have designated lanes for uh, buses or emergency equipment to be able to get through, right? They're def you don't have to, they're not a mutually exclusive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They don't, they don't have to be. Well, and 
you know, even if there is some level of give and take there, um, the we know how many people got run over last year. Um, how many fires did we not get to in time? Mm. How many stories did you read about people dying in their houses or in high-rise structures because DFNR didn't get there quickly enough? Mm. That's not a real thing. The motivation here is not response time and safety. It's we want the big toys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I love big toys also, but it's just not a it's just not a responsible way to run a city. Um, speaking of changing Twitter handles, you have a new Twitter handle currently. What did I go with this time? When you're, the march, you're the march of the um what brigade? Oh, the fraud brigade. I think the fraud is, brigade. I think this is related to you and I being consistently surprised that the guest editorials in the morning news could get dumber and dumber and dumber. And so yet, this, and yet, so here we have yet another um, co-penned editorial by our former mayor Tom Leppert, and in this case, Talmadge Boston who the Morning News describes as a presidential, presidential historian. <laughs> um, Talmadge is a good lawyer, um, and he is a baseball historian. That That is what Talmadge Boston is a historian of. and uh, and But it doesn't matter whether he's a presidential historian or not. The, the theme of the piece is that neither Biden nor Trump have what it takes to be president. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I encourage yeah. everybody to read it. So it's got this bizarre tie-in to, is that Tennyson who wrote yes. the Charge of the Light Brigade? So yes. he's, he's trying to explain why the Charge of the Light Brigade is like what we need in presidential leadership. And it's, this is the thinnest tissue ever. Or that, uh, yeah, America is being led into uh, something that they can't win from, right? A valley of death with only mm -hmm. Trump and and Biden as leaders. I mean, the things we've made fun of it some on uh, you know the uh, social media platforms. One of my favorite parts was where they talk about you know the famous presidents who worked across the aisle, like Abraham Lincoln, who, if <laughs> you recall correctly, went to war against people <laughs> that disagreed he, with him. He literally killed the other side of the <laughs> yes. aisle. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know, that's reaching across the aisle and like sh shooting them, right? I guess if that's what you're looking for in the bipartisanship. The thing that I think is what I suppose the morning news is actually trying to do with this is to set us up for um, when they inevitably endorse no one in November uh, at, for president. That's what I predict is going to happen. I think that's a the really news. good bet. And I think that's super perceptive, Tyler, because that, because this is this is part two in the series of we're going to roll out um, editorials by people who are third way people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like they the did the Mike Rawlings one. one was, yeah, yeah. So and and Mike Rawlings and Tom Leppert were doing that hackneyed thing of saying, you know, we we need a we need a third party. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, and sometimes maybe appropriate, but when like America continuing to be a democracy is at stake, I don't know that that's really the time to say, 
Yeah, both these guys suck. It's like, I don't know, you may not like uh, Grandpa Joe's policies a whole lot, but we're probably still going to have elections if he were to be reelected. Well, let's just run down a list of third-party candidates in, you know, the last 120 years. Um, Ross Perot. Ross Perot, yep. John Anderson. Mm-hmm. Lyndon LaRouche. Uh, Strom Thurmond. George Wallace. Yeah, Ralph Nader. Um, who? Jill Stein. Yeah. Jill Stein, um, Gary, John who, Gary Johnson, right? Was he wanted a yeah, Gary Johnson libertarian though? That one's a little bit more like yeah. okay, they're they're always there a little bit, but but honestly, Gary Johnson got more votes than libertarians usually get. Yeah. Um. The I mean, I don't know. It, it's I'm being unfair again. I'm doing an ad hominem thing. It's like look at this group of fucking idiots, and you you think we need a third party candidate? I mean, who's the darling now? Andrew Yang? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, they haven't really coalesced around a person yet. Uh, I don't or, know if they or, were. Uh, yeah, or uh, uh, what's his name from West Virginia? Joe Manchin? Yeah. 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 I mean, that that's sounds great, right? Yeah, we definitely need more like elementary school children going to work in coal mines again. You know, well, the, but the other thing about this, which I think you're leading up to, which is they're not going to endorse anybody, which is a tacit endorsement of Trump. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it, this is so this is yet another frustrating thing about being a Democrat. We are the only ones who fall for that third way shit. The Republicans, even if they sign on to the editorial, they don't fucking mean it. They're just like, watch these fucking fools miss this football mm. game. Mm. <laughs> yeah because they're well republicans are much better at messaging right and they're consistent and they stay on the ball on things literally all the time right i was listening well to and the, they're just more they're just more disciplined they you yeah know, they, they are not going they they're very much less likely to stay home and they literally will not cross the aisle yeah well and it's interesting there was interesting so texas take last week i was listening to to um jeremy um talk about um sort of um yeah well immigration republicans in their immigration mm -hmm. policy and how like every republican to a t just says constantly build the wall stay in mexico right and that's just easy and quick and pithy and they're all on the border same crisis page. yeah all right? the, Whereas, very quick easy stuff you talk to all of the democrats in texas and you would probably get as many different solutions as there are people well, and then you talk to Democrats who are outside Texas, especially from states that don't border Mexico and who don't understand the issue at like all. Like Pennsylvania, hypothetically speaking. Like fucking John Fetterman, who's like, oh, it's a crisis. He's never been to the border. Yeah. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And all those, those you know, uh, progressives who tried to warn us about this guy being a bigot. Uh-oh. We might have found... Uh, a bigoted white dude to be the senator in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. <laughs> I was just in the Valley. I did not feel danger uh, during my, my time there. I know it's shocking. Did it's you shocking. wear, did you wear camouflage? <laughs> I tried to be, uh, yeah, hiding in plain sight. Yeah, it did not strike me as a, uh, you know, a really fraught place. 
uh, unless because of Texas's new SB4, you know, you happen to look brown or like you might be in the country illegally. And then the state police now have the right to question whether or not you are able to be here legally. So that's great. Well, um, there was an interesting piece, and I wish you could remember where I saw it, um, about where somebody was like cataloging what Republicans wore on their border trip. Mm. And it's all camo and like yes. tactical gear. Yes. As though they're visiting a war zone. Yes. Then they always do that. And they look ridiculous. I mean, they all just look ridiculous. Well, I, I told the story on the podcast before of the time that I was in McAllen and, and the House Freedom Caucus had taken over the breakfast nook <laughs> uh, on one of their fake trips. And they had these sheriffs from other parts of the country that they were taking down there with them to then give them their talking points about, you know, how bad things are in the middle of nowhere, you know, Montana because of the crisis happening at the Southern border. And um, they took over the breakfast nook, including my seat. And I told them that they weren't just assholes on TV, but apparently they are so in real life. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it circles back to another story we talked about. And it's going to be interesting to see how Mayor Villalobos and McAllen handles this kind of uh, crisis rhetoric and this invasion rhetoric and where Eric Johnson actually finally sort of comes down on immigration stuff once he has to actually campaign for office. Are they going to say the bullshit that, um, you know, the national Republicans and Greg Abbott are saying um, or because for Villalobos, that ain't getting him reelected. Mm -hmm. he, he cannot afford to do it. Not when you're talking about Abuela, right, or someone's mom or aunt and uncle. Right. Which you frequently are when you're on yeah. the border. And so, I don't know, that's just, it goes back to a story we identified for people earlier in our emergency episode on uh, Eric Johnson becoming a Republican. It'll be interesting to see how Republican he gets. Yeah, and what and to what extent does he have to repudiate his previous stances, right? That's the thing that I, I mean, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole too much today, but how he will have, we'll have many more chances, I think. Yes. How he runs as a Republican in a primary and explains his previous stances on abortion. Right. Or other social issues of the day. I don't know well, uh, how he um, how he does that. <clears throat> Speaking of extreme positions, um, another friend of the show. Um, Stephen Monicelli. Yeah, was in very high cotton today when apparently Elon Musk suspended his Twitter account. <laughs> I had followed that briefly. Did he ever get uh, or post anything about uh, a resolution? Did he find out why he was suspended? The resolution is that he's no longer suspended, but Twitter. Uh, X, formerly Twitter, has will, has not provided any explanation of why he was suspended in the first place. And there's been some interesting speculation on uh, the internet about how this could have happened. One, pre 
one hypothesis that seems to have at least a small amount of um, backup is that these may have just all been names that Bill Ackman is really angry at and he gave oh. to Elon Musk to get suspended um, either over, I, I, I don't think over plagiarism. I think the allegation is that it's over um, either reporting negatively on him or reporting positively on Palestine. Mm. So the free speech people are... Uh not uh, okay with that when it's yeah, free speech, speech that they disagree speech. with <laughs> no one no one's okay with free speech like everybody ought to just admit to themselves that they're not really okay with free speech and it's just a question of whether but I elon's to... a free speech absolutist philip i mean he's told us that himself indeed as am i <laughs> um except i would absolutely gag that motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> yes um yeah Bill, I, I, i'm, yeah, I'm yeah. kidding i i'm actually kidding i i have a much deeper understanding of free speech than most people i work for a first amendment law firm um i understand the benefits of free speech and the marketplace of ideas and i support them uh immensely i think you should be able to say some really poisonous fucking things in the public square uh and then suffer the consequences bitch you know yeah that's an important part um, of it right yeah so I I'm I actually think I'm a little bit more virtuous than Elon Musk, which isn't really giving myself that much of a compliment. Um, uh, man, Elon, did you see what he's done to the market value of Twitter since being in charge? I did. He's doing well. He's killing it. Literally, uh, literally killing it. Loserville is getting close to being able to, with some strategic investors. Uh, afford it. We think we could purchase we could purchase X and uh, turn it into our own. I think my favorite of his strategies was when he uh, did the whole rate limit exceeded thing and uh, was limiting the number of tweets a person could look at a day and then was shocked that advertisers weren't happy that you were not letting people look at the platform that they're paying money to serve ads to people on. Uh, that was very, that was a fun little cycle. Um, his, he's on the fourth or fifth time where he's threatened to um, require an outright membership fee. Mm -hmm. um, um, or if not a fee, I think one of the other proposals he had was uh, purchasing tokens to post. Did you see that one? Mm. So I I don't know the he he definitely is not getting it but I do notice that in my feed the advertisements I'm getting whereas it used to be AT and T Apple GM you know some of the largest advertisers on Earth, in the world those are all gone all 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 gone and mm -hmm. I am getting some wild shit from people who definitely don't have enough money to advertise nationally. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> my favorite are the ones that you'll get where uh, it's like, you should look at this. And it's some crazy racist uh, post by someone. And it's like, I don't I don't think I needed to see that. You know, that was not <laughs> that was not uh, not in the cards for me, um, man. Uh, anything else? We So we want to talk about EBJ, but anything other than that? It's not political, but. Um, 
Isn't it crazy that a hotel blew up and nobody died? Yes. Yeah. That was um, pretty wild uh, to see video out of the early breaking news reports too, where you just see the sensationalism where people were like, this building happened. It was a mass casualty event. And then seeing people's replies being like, oh, it's Hamas. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? Like, how did we get... How did we get uh, Hamas blowing up a building in downtown Fort Worth? Because Republicans are telling everyone <laughs> every day that there are Hamas leaders and terrorists flooding across the southern border with no one to stop them. Yeah, it's wide open. And then you they're blocking many... your interest to the airport. You know, I mean... are you aware, Tyler, of how many uh, terrorists have entered the United States by crossing the southern border since 2001? I'm guessing not a lot. It's zero. It's yeah, probably zero. zero. And yeah. and these people continue. In fact, the only land entry one that I think we have was um, the guy who tried to cross in a car from Canada. And I can't remember what his shtick was, but they caught him at the border. Like, you know, it, this, yeah. this is not a thing. So, so the hijackers, 9-11 hijackers weren't from Guatemala and Venezuela. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, no, you know, the allegations. No, they didn't enter from there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they're just like going to All Latin those direct flights. Yeah, those direct flights from Tehran to Caracas. Yeah, sure. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, that's frustrating. The other, you know, the other group recently was Syrian refugees that we took in the United States. And we didn't mm -hmm. take as many as the UN asked us to take. Mm -hmm. And so how many of those are terrorists? We uh, Well, and that was when we were doing the extreme vetting, right? They kept talking about extreme vetting, which I guess was <laughs> supposed to be like, are you not, Are you sure that you're not a terrorist? Is that, uh, <laughs> do, you, do you double dog Daria to not be a terrorist? <laughs> All um, right. On to EBJ. Yeah. Let's let's finish with somebody who did something good. Yes. So uh, former Dallas Congresswoman from District 30, Eddie Bernice Johnson, passed away um, last week um, after a stint in the hospital at the age of 89. Let's cover the hospital thing first so that we actually do wind up ending on a high because yeah. her family is alleging that she was left uh, incapacitated um in her own excrement and that that uh led to an infection that killed her and obviously those are only allegations at this point but they are really fucking horrific allegations yeah definitely very sad um it happened to anybody especially a congressperson who is a was a nurse as her profession um prior to serving in public life um Really disgusting. Baylor Scott and White uh, is being sued by the family. Not good. It's it's really not good and a really like absurd and sad end to her story. the The beginning of her story is amazing. I just I reread it today just because I was like had forgotten some of the details. You know, she went to nursing school because the people at her high school told her that she could not be a doctor because she was a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and so she went into nursing. Um, 
she got her nursing degree at TCU. And then um, after she got elected to public office, she went back to SMU and got a master's of public administration in the mid seventies as a black lady. Like the, the level to which that is groundbreaking, especially in Texas is just really hard to describe to people. Um, and, you know, she's given a million interviews, so you can find this information in her own words. Um, but it's it is absolutely shocking. Like if you're if you're not, I don't know, if you're if you're a younger person and you're not up on the kind of I don't know, the opportunities for black women in the late 60s and early 70s. And she started going to college in the 50s. So like, I mean, we're we're talking about sometimes way before the civil rights movement. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable. Absolutely. Yeah. So was a nurse um, elected to the Texas House in 1972 and then moved over to the Texas Senate in 1986. She actually then, had a she had an interim in between, and I didn't know this at all okay. until I was reading up on her. And uh, <clears throat> uh, late in the Carter administration, he tapped her to be the regional health and human services. This is a department that has changed its name, but it, a regional appointee um, in North Texas to run a federal agency, and. Once the Carter administration was over, and actually quite a bit after the Carter administration was over, she went back to the Senate in the 80s and I think served two and a half terms, something like that. Yeah, uh, and dealt uh, particularly with, um, you know, helping um, with laws regarding the treatment of AIDS patients um, during her time in the Texas Senate. Also fought for fair housing, was instrumental in bringing, you know, millions of dollars in money back to North Texas. It, she replaced Oscar Mousey, I think, in the Texas Senate, um, which is a name that a lot of people are not going to know. But he was one of the gang of uh, East Dallas Democrats that kind of started the move in Dallas toward uh, more progressive politics in in the in local government. And he what I mean, he was in the Texas Senate, obviously. It's not local local, but he's one of those he's one of those names that's associated with like Jim Maddox and John Bryant and what, you know, those those folks. So it's really interesting for this like super self-starting, talented black woman to take over from one of these like, icons of you know white progressivism uh I, I just i find that interesting the district obviously had been drawn to support that um so i you know i think it's great and she she won big she was very successful electorally so i don't know i um uh, i i spent not a ton of time with her but um definitely time with her in unobserved uh, moments. I'm not saying she was unguarded. I'm just saying there was nobody there to say what she was saying to me. Um, and I found her to be like, 
with regard to like just me being like on city council or whatever, she was like gracious to a fault, helpful, all of that stuff. Um, uh, but I know that behind the scenes, she could play politics like, you know, Machiavelli. Um, and she's like a legitimate mentor to a generation of younger leaders, you know, not, not the least of which is Jasmine Crockett, who, you know, replaced her with her uh, support. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a good interview that I saw on, uh, gosh, was it NBC five this weekend of Royce West um, talking about the lessons that he had learned from EBJ and uh, the uh, apparent tongue lashings that she gave to him behind the scenes <laughs> about stuff, which I enjoyed. Yeah. You know, Royce replaced her in the Senate. And so I'm certain that he's got stories that he uh, he's got stories that nobody else has. But I bet he's got a dozen or more stories that he ain't fucking telling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, definitely a good one. She will be uh, definitely missed um, as a voice in Dallas and in North Texas. But as Philip mentioned, her legacy definitely lives lives on. Look, we actually gave people something to be happy about. Yeah, that's right. End on a positive note. I would say that we should shoot to do that, you know, for every episode, but that might be really hard. So uh, especially it's an election year. I don't know. People should buckle up. This is why I put the happy music at the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's to get people uh, off to thinking about brighter, brighter days that are ahead. Uh, yeah, is, I hope uh, so. how, What percentage do you think um, Trump will get in the Iowa caucus next week? Will it be above 50? No, Iowa's weird, you know. Um, they vote for losers. Uh, and it's freaking cold there right now. Uh, so it's yes. going to be wild. Um, Nikki Haley could win it. It would be interesting to see uh, if she does. I think she, her best part is probably to see how close of a second she can finish. And could she beat him in New Hampshire? She might have done that before. She uh, had a really hard time under telling people what the cause of the Civil War was. So that was probably not great. Uh, for her electoral future but but who knows maybe not uh, we also I don't know who, about, who, that, who cares yeah, complaining about, about sexually assaulting people uh was a liability if you would have told me that in 2016 <laughs> i would have said yes but now anything goes apparently so do do uh do republican primary voters want to hear that the cause of the civil war was slavery no, hmm. they don't. Yeah. And all these states, people, it was all about states' rights. <clears throat> all these people clowning her are actually helping her, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you, you see, you turned it back yeah, I down. I know, end. we got to, I know, I know. Well. All right, well, next, I think the next one is probably going to be Mike Daniel, which will be fun. And then maybe by the one after that, there will be enough more news about the recall petition for eric johnson to do a uh, oh well <laughs> color be intrigued until <laughs> next time good to see you man i wish every day the sun would shine take 
Wow. Well,